Good morning and welcome, Fellowship Asheville. Listen, no matter who you are or where you are, we really are a church for you. And if today is your first day to join us, let me tell you, you have picked a great day to join us. Uh, because today we're going to talk about something that we all need more of. It doesn't matter if you have been a Jesus follower for years. It doesn't matter if you are a brand new Jesus follower. It doesn't matter if you're not even sure about this whole Jesus thing. I guarantee you what we're going to talk about today is something we all need more of. Now, let me start off today by telling you something that happened last Sunday. I want to show you a picture. This is Roger. All right. Now, Roger is a man that I met in our church parking lot about three weeks ago. I was getting in my car to leave to go to an appointment, and he walked across the parking lot and started up a conversation with me. And, and he asked, he said, can I talk to the pastor of this church? Uh, to which I said, man, it's your lucky day. I'm, I am the pastor. And so uh, he asked me a question that I have never been asked before in that parking lot by somebody just walking by. He said, is there any way you or someone at the church could baptize me. And I said, man, let's keep this conversation going. I would love to talk to you about that. Yes, we can, uh, but I'm about to leave and go to an appointment that I've got to get to. I said, do you have email? Do you have access to email? And he said, yes. And I said, great, email me and let's continue this conversation. Well, last Sunday, I got to baptize Roger right in the river, right over, by the, by, over here by the building. Now, why do I share this story with you about Roger? Because in getting to know Roger and in, in, in getting to know his story, um, at the day of his baptism, he said something very profound. You see, this process of getting to know Roger over these, these past three weeks, I discovered he used to go by the name Brian which is, is pretty common for someone to change their name. Roger, Roger was stepping out of addiction and had gone through recovery, and during the recovery process uh, this last year, met Jesus and gave his life to Jesus. And so it's, it's not uncommon for someone to, to go by their middle name or to change their name to kind of represent this new life uh, that they're living. So I wasn't, I wasn't, I wasn't, it wasn't abnormal to me that he used to go by a different name. Well, um, I wanted to get to know him better, so I took Brian and his last name and did a Facebook search for him real quick just to see if I could get to know him a little bit better that way. And y'all, I got to tell you, the Facebook profile that popped up with his picture on it and Brian and, and his last name, it was something like I have never seen before. It was so full of hate and racism, I thought there is no way I can baptize this guy. Like, I need to disciple this guy for a little bit. Uh, I want to work with this guy. Like, like, there's no way you can have a profile like this and have surrendered your life to Jesus. Just the amount of hate that was, that was all over this thing. Well, then I noticed the last post on that profile was from 2017. And so I thought, well, let me do something different. Let me, let me search Roger in that last name and see what comes up. And y'all, that's when I discovered his current profile. And y'all, the difference between his previous profile and this profile is night and day. Where one was full of hate, this one was full of love. It had scripture, it had all these family connections as his aunts were, were talking to him and, 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 and encouraging him. It had love all over it. One profile under his old name, was full of hate. The other profile, the new one under his new name, was full 
of love. When we met at the baptism, I had to ask him about this. I had to ask him about this transformation from, from old to new. And, and we talked about his old profile. And I talked about the stuff that I saw in it, that it was so full of hate. And that's when he said what he said that was so profound. Because I said, man, it was just so full of hate. And he goes, you know, he said, I didn't hate them. I hated me. I was like, Roger, that's... That's so profound because you see what what he was saying, that the hate that he had for himself spilled out in hating others, that this hate that he he had for himself led him to hurt others with his words and even to hurt himself through addiction. You see, behind Roger's profound statement is this very simple life principle, and it's this, that hurting people hurt people. Hurting people hurt people. See, Roger's pain and his hurt was centered around his hate for himself. And, and like I said, that, that hate for himself led him to hurt himself through addiction. It led him to, to hurt others with, with words. And right now in this pandemic, coupled with this very divisive political environment that we find ourselves in, y'all, there is a lot of hurt out there, right? Which means there's a lot of hurting people out there right now. And right now, it seems like that hurt is an, an acceptable price to pay. But I know some of you right now, too, are saying, well, listen, Fred, the truth hurts, right? Some of you are sitting there just like this, going, where's he going with this, right? Because in your mind, the truth hurts. Here's the deal. I want to I just expose that lie for what it is. Because you know what? I've searched the entire Bible. Well, not the entire Bible. I have searched the Bible, though. Maybe, maybe in some nook and cranny you can find something. But I have searched the Bible to see that result of truth, that truth hurts. And, and here's what I find. I have found that. I have found other effects of truth. I have found that truth heals. I have found that truth divides rightly. I have found that truth unifies and truth gives freedom and truth gives peace. I have found where the gospel can be offensive, but I've never seen where it gives us permission to be offensive. You see, the hurt that we inflict in others is actually based in our own hurt. You, you don't believe me? Listen to this. Our impatience can lead us to hurt others with even something as simple as a sharp and harsh tone. Right? Have you ever had anybody say, what you said wasn't wrong, but the way you said it was really bad? Maybe that's your own hurt doing that annoyance can use you to can lead you to to use uh, all caps in your post right because we all know that means you're screaming right maybe you're just annoyed by something it can lead you to actually yell your insecurity the hurt that you feel from your own insecurity it can lead you and me to to not only say things harshly but to say them just to get a point across maybe you've seen this on social media i have where someone wants to post something and they know it's going to be hurtful and they know it's going to be offensive but instead of wanting to dialogue and conversation, they say, hey, don't even bother leaving comments. If you disagree, I'm just going to delete you. That's a hurting person. Maybe shame causes us to blame others for our own inadequacies. Maybe, maybe the fear of being hurt 
can actually make us avoid or block or cancel friendships, maybe past hurts. This is the stuff that, that I see in counseling all the time. And, 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 and it's, just this, it's just a way of how hurting people hurt others. And, and it's where we take our own past hurts and we let those shape us in such a way that we end up hurting people around us the same way we've been hurt. See, church, hurting people hurt people. And the hurt that we cause to others is linked to our own pain and our own hurt. But y'all, I want to tell you right now, there is a better way. Right? Jesus is going to show us that there is this way, and he's going to call it this, this kingdom way, that there is a better way that's actually a much more essential way for us to live. We're going to be in, in Matthew 18, verse, uh, verses 21 through 35. And go ahead and turn there. And as you're turning there in your Bible, um, I, I want to tell you what's happening around this passage. Because the flow of this passage in Matthew is hilarious in many ways, right? Because the way Matthew 18 unfolds is you have Jesus teaching the, the disciples and the crowds. And he's teaching the people that are listening. He's teaching them about this incredible love of God that God will leave the 99 to go chase the one and to bring the one back in into the flock, into the fold. By the way, Roger said he was that one that Jesus went after. And he's right. And, 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 and chances are we have been too, you have been too. Maybe you are right now the one that Jesus is showing you his incredible heart of love and he is going after you just like he did, he did Roger. And so Jesus talks about about this love of God willing to go after the one. And then he talks about, about how does that work out practically in some ways. And, and the, the, the famous part of Matthew 18 that a lot of us know is, is called church discipline. Here we call it church restoration because we think the heart of God is about restoration, not discipline. And so, so but it's that Matthew 18, 18 uh, passage where if someone is caught in sin, you go to them one-on-one, -on -one, and in love and tenderness, you, you talk to them about their sin, and, and, and you hope to bring them to a place of repentance and restoration. And if that doesn't happen, you take somebody else with you that has witnessed the sin so that, so that together you can draw them to repentance. If that doesn't work, you bring, a, you bring them to a group of people that have experienced that so they can hear that feedback from more than just one person. And then ultimately, if they don't, then you treat them, uh, Jesus says, as an unbeliever, which doesn't mean you, you kick them out. It means that you woo them back in as you would somebody who doesn't know Jesus. That whole passage is about the love and the heart of God. And after that teaching, this teaching about the, the love of God and, and, and how do, you, how do you, you help a person who is wandering come back into the flock, after all of that teaching, Peter, one of Jesus' disciples, says this, Chapter 18, verse 21, it says, Then Peter came up to him and said, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me? In other words, in the language here, it says, How often will a person sin against me in the exact same way? Right? Not, not in a creative way where he did this on Monday, and now he's doing this on Wednesday and something else on Thursday. How many times will he sin the same way against me? And, Peter says, I forgive him. As many as seven times? Seven times? Is that, is that how many times I have to forgive him? Now get this. Jesus just talked about the, the heart of God, the incredible love of God, the crazy love of God, right? And he talked about how to deal with sin directly and yet compassionately with clarity. 
and with grace. And Peter says, yeah, 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 okay, I get all that, I get all that. But how many times do I actually have to do this? Right? Seven. Now, have you ever wondered why Peter said seven times? We don't really know. The, the, the current teaching of the time by the rabbis was that you did that three times, and that was plenty. Jesus just uh, outlaid a four-step process. So maybe he took the three from the rabbis and the four steps from Jesus and combined them together to get seven. We don't know why he chose seven. It's also the number of complete and wholeness. But, but whatever reason Peter had, he did it because he thought he was being very generous. Right? He thought seven is plenty. If they sin against me an eighth time, I don't have to forgive them. And you see, in asking that question, we see Peter's flaw in his understanding of the forgiveness that Jesus is talking about, of the love that Jesus is talking about. Peter's thinking has this flaw, and I would imagine we, you and me, have the same flaw in us too, and it's this, that forgiveness has a limit. That eventually there'll be a time where we go, okay, I just can't forgive them anymore. You see, Peter thought he understood Jesus's forgiveness, and he didn't, which is why Jesus says this, right? He's going to blow Jesus's mind. And he says this. He says, Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. You see, what Jesus does here is he uses a number that's so big in this context, it had to blow Peter's mind. Peter had to go, wait, wait, Jesus, really? This many times I have to give, forgive them 77 times for the exact same thing? In other words, what Jesus did is he took this idea of forgiveness having a limit. and He said, Peter, actually, forgiveness doesn't have a limit. And so maybe the question for us to consider is, do you think the forgiveness you give to others has a limit? And here's a question to maybe help you discern if you think forgiveness has a limit or not. It's this. Have you ever said in your heart or in your mind or, or maybe even said it out loud verbally, I will forgive you if you fill in the blank? I will forgive them if they do this. I will forgive you if you do this. I will forgive my friend if she asks for forgiveness. I've heard that before. I've I've said that. I've thought that. Well, if they ask for forgiveness, then I'll forgive them. Maybe this. I'll forgive my little sister if she cleans my room. Right? Any brothers out there thought that about your little sister? Any big sisters thought that about your little sister? I'll forgive them if they do something for me. I'll forgive my little brother if he stops being so annoying. Right? I'll forgive them if they stop doing something. I'll forgive my boss if he stops being so demanding. I'll forgive my roommate if he does the things the way I want them done. I'll forgive my spouse if they actually change this time. Any of those things pop around in your head or heart? If so, it shows that you and me and Peter all have one thing in common. We think forgiveness has a limit. What also that means is that when you think that way, you're going to have some hurt in you. Because that's what, that's what for limited forgiveness thinking does. It actually creates hurt in you. And what we just saw from what Roger told us is, is, is 
when we're hurting, we're actually going to hurt other people. And if that hurt in you isn't corrected, you're going to keep hurting people and keep hurting people. And Jesus knows this about Peter. And so what he does is he starts telling this story. And this story is to expose the heart of what's behind this thinking of limited forgiveness. And so, so we're going to read this story. Now, here's the deal with the parable. That's what Jesus' stories are called. Oftentimes, parables are there to make a point, right? You don't dissect a parable like you're in high school dissecting a frog to see all the little nooks and crannies. You, you listen to the story for the point of the story. And so, so Jesus' point is he's going to expose the truth about forgiveness. And he's going to expose the heart of what's behind it. Let's, let's dive in and see. Verse 23, it says there, it says this, therefore the kingdom of heaven. Now, whenever Jesus, I know I said we're going to read the parable and I stopped at the fourth word in, but, but, but whenever Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is like, that is your code word for, for, for understanding that Jesus is saying, okay, the way you're doing it is wrong. There is a kingdom way to operate in this world that will radically change you in this world and radically change the world around you. Now let's look at what this kingdom way is. Verse 23 says, Therefore the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle his accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had in payment be made. Now, this sounds kind of harsh, doesn't it? This guy owed a, a certain amount of money and he couldn't pay it. And so, so this king ordered him to be sold, him and his family to be sold. Well, let me tell you how much this guy owed. A talent of gold weighed about 75 pounds. And this guy owed 10 thousand of them, whether it was gold or, or, or whatever it was, that is a lot. As a matter of fact, it was a debt that could never be repaid. No matter how much this guy worked, no matter how much uh, money this king got for, for selling this family, it could never measure up to the debt that this guy had. And his punishment was to work off that debt, which would have been a life sentence. But Jesus' story, remember, it's not about punishment. It's about something else. It's about restoration. It's about forgiveness. It's about love. Look at, look at what happens. In verse 26, So the servant fell on his knees, imploring, imploring him, Have patience with me. I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. And so what this king does is he says, You know what? Forget about it. You don't owe me a thing, right? You are completely forgiven for this. And so you see, the point of this isn't, isn't punishment. The point of this parable is forgiveness. You see, this guy was completely released of any obligation to pay back this huge debt that he never could repay. And he didn't have to pay a single penny of it back or whatever the equivalent to a penny was then. He was completely forgiven. But here's the question. Does this kind of forgiveness have a limit? Does the forgiveness that the king gave this guy have a limit? The answer to that is no. The debt has been completely forgiven. And so let's see what this guy's response is to this unlimited forgiveness that he just was given. In verse 28, it says this. 
But when the same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. Now, a, a denarii was very different than a talent. A denarii is about a day's wage. And so this guy owed him about a hundred of those. And so, so, so it, it's a debt that's significant, but it can be paid back. Like this is something that can be worked off. When you compare the unpayable debt to the payable debt, there really isn't any comparison. Right? And so he finds him. Now, what would you expect to happen? Those of you who have heard this story, don't say anything. But those of you who haven't heard this story, don't read ahead. Those of you who haven't heard this story, what do you think is going to happen? This guy was forgiven this huge debt. He comes across this guy who has a small debt. What do you think is going to happen? Let's watch. In verse 28. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. What? Now, as Jesus is telling this story, people are supposed to be like, wait, what? That, that's, that's not the way that's supposed to happen. But remember, Jesus is wanting to expose something in our hearts. This guy choked the next guy that he saw. Now, let me ask you, I don't know how much debt you're currently carrying, but what would you do if I said, I'm going to pay off all of your debt. I'm going to pay off your mortgage. I'm going to pay off your car payment. I'm going to pay off your student loans. I'm going to pay off your credit card payment. You are going to leave here today completely debt free. What would you do? What would you say? Would the first thing that you do be go out and choke someone? I don't know. Probably not the most appropriate response. Probably not the best response, right? If you were me, you would probably go out and celebrate, right? You'd probably go have a nice steak dinner and probably put it on your credit card because it's a zero balance now, right? That's what you would do. That's what I would do. But this guy didn't. Why? Because there was this anger in him, right? There was this hate in him. There was this, this shame. There was this hurt in him. And we know that there was hurt in him because he hurt someone else. This guy was hurting, and he hurt someone else. Well, look at what happens next in verse 29. Verse 29, so his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me, I will repay you. Y'all, that's the exact same thing that he just said to the king, right? Right, and, and so, so, so watch what happens, because in Jesus' story, you would expect after hearing that same statement, it would clue this guy in. Oh yeah, this, I just said the same thing to the king and I was forgiven. Well, look at what happens. And it says, he refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. So instead of forgiveness, instead of mercy, there was punishment. And look at this in verse 31. And when his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed. And they went and reported it to their master, all that had taken place. And the master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers that he should pay all of his debt. And so this, 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 this king, this, this master, he has had one question to the servant, why didn't you do to him what I did to you? Why didn't you show mercy 
when I showed you mercy. And Jesus sums it up this way in verse 35. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. And so Jesus' point in this parable, in this story that he told to Peter and all of those listening to expose what was behind Peter's question, Jesus' point is a very simple one. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. It's a very simple one to say, but man, it can be a difficult one to walk in. But the simple statement is this, forgiving people forgive people. Forgiving people forgive people. Forgiven people forgive people. You see, here's the deal. We have been forgiven of a debt that we could never pay. I'm not talking about your visa bill, right? I'm, I'm talking about this word called sin, which is a big theological scary word. But, but basically it means anything that you've done in your life uh, that God says not to do or anything you haven't done that God says to do, that is sin. And in your life and in my life, we've got plenty of it. And if that wasn't enough, thanks to Adam and Eve, we've got this sin nature piled on top of us, right? That is an incredible debt that we can't pay. To pay that, it would mean that from birth, you would have to never have that in your life. Right, which means you would have to be more moral than the more, most moral person you know. You would have to be more generous than the most generous person you know. You would have to be more humble than the most humble person you know. And I don't know about y'all, but I can't live up to all of that. And that's just a simple slice of what you would have to be to pay that debt yourself. We can't do it. Which is why Jesus came and died on the cross. He paid that debt for us. That's what Jesus has done for you. And he paid the penalty of that sin, which is this eternal separation from the God who loves you and who made you and who created you. Now, an ancient prophet named Isaiah said this about what Jesus has done. In Isaiah 53, he says this. He says, we all like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone, every one of us to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity, that's a word for sin, but the Lord has laid on him the sin of us all. You see, this is where we see Jesus paying for our debt of sin. It was predicted before he ever did it. It was part of his messiahship. It was part of how we know he is our savior because when he died on that cross, he paid the debt of our sin. And the reason we know that he was able to pay that debt is because he was resurrected. His resurrection proves that everything he said and did was true. His resurrection proves that that debt has been paid for. And it was placed on Jesus, our sin was, for him to deal with. So what that means is that for you and me, our sins are forgiven. And here's the deal with forgiveness, y'all. This is the part that oftentimes blows our minds. God says this about forgiveness in Hebrews. He says, I will remember your sins no more. And it's not just in Hebrews. It's scattered throughout the Bible where Jesus says, you will be white as snow. I will remember your sins no more. This means that no matter what your sins are, no matter when your sins are, whether they were years ago which they were, whether they were yesterday, 
which they were, whether they were today, which they were, or whether they were last night, which they were, whether they were this morning, or whether they were tomorrow or a year from now, all of those they were, that Jesus has forgiven all of those sins. All of them are forgiven. You see, this is your 10,000 talents being forgiven. This is your unpayable debt being paid for. But instead of punishment, what you and I get is we get the freedom of forgiveness. You and I get unlimited forgiveness. Let that sink in for just a moment. You are forgiven. Now, here's the deal with that forgiveness. You've got a choice. What do you do with this kind of forgiveness given to you? Do you operate on a limited forgiveness mindset or do you operate on an unlimited forgiveness mindset? Well, let me ask you, what kind of forgiveness have you received in Jesus? Did Jesus give you a limited forgiveness just for the sins that you confess? That's the ones you're forgiven for? Or did he give you an unlimited forgiveness, a forgiveness for your sins, no matter what they are or when they are. He gave you an unlimited forgiveness. That is what we have received. Now, how do we respond to that? Do we go out and choke the first person that we see? No, we don't. I I don't think that's the proper response. I think the proper response is giving forgiveness the same way we've received it. Giving unlimited forgiveness is the same in the same way that we have received unlimited forgiveness. You see, just like God's forgiveness to us through Jesus, our forgiveness doesn't have any limits either. And so here's what this means. Maybe it means your first step is saying yes to Jesus. Right? Because it's really hard to give that kind of forgiveness if you haven't received that kind of forgiveness. And so maybe right now is your time to bow your head and to say yes to receiving Jesus' gift of salvation. Right? That you you can't figure out how to give someone this kind of forgiveness without receiving it. Which means you must acknowledge that you do have sin in your life. Right, That you have done what is wrong and you have done what God thinks is wrong. And you realize that that sin needs forgiveness. And so you accept Jesus as your Savior. That's what saying yes to Jesus is. It is saying yes to his gift of salvation to you. And it is laying those sins, laying that iniquity, to use the word that that we saw in Isaiah. You lay those sins on Jesus's shoulders because he has already paid the price for them. He has taken them to the cross already and your debt has been paid for. Your sins are forgiven forevermore. Now, maybe you've already done that. This is your next step. is to forgive those who have hurt you. You see, if you've already said yes to Jesus, Here's what unlimited forgiveness for you means. It means that when someone hurts you, you choose not to hold on to that hurt. And y'all, it's hard, but it's freeing. 
When someone disagrees with you, you don't hold on to that hurt. When someone offends you, you don't hold on to that hurt. What do you do with it? You forgive them and you don't hold that debt over them anymore. Because here's what this does. When you do this, when, when you feel hurt or you feel offended, and, and, and instead of holding on to that hurt, you, you don't let it go, right? We talked about that in a previous message. You don't just let it go up in the air. You release it to God. When you say, God, I forgive them. Now they're yours. Because that's where we get hurt. We get hurt holding on to that. And it turns into a grudge. And, and somebody has said holding on to a grudge is like drinking poison and expecting the other person to die from it. You're the only one who gets hurt. You turn into this hurting person and when you're hurting, what do you do? You hurt others. And so releasing them in forgiveness to God, what it does is it turns you into a forgiving person so that you can forgive others. What it does is you get to be a person of freedom, right? Because when you hold on to those hurts, y'all, they get heavy. Listen, I know I have held on to hurt. I still hold on to hurt. Forgiveness is this process and this state of mind that I have to find myself in, that I have to continually let go of those hurts. Because if I don't, those hurts get heavy. Do you need freedom today? Do you need peace today? Then release that hurt to Jesus. Forgive them. Declare out loud that you forgive them. So let me ask you, church, who do you need to forgive? Right? Whose name is coming to your mind right now? Write it down. If you're watching alone, say it out loud. If you're watching with people and the person you need to forgive is sitting in the room, maybe just think their name in your head. It could get really awkward if you say their name out loud right now. But what it does mean is you and them might need to have a conversation. But before that conversation, you can already forgive them for that offense. You can already forgive them for hurting you. And so who do you need to forgive? And let me ask you this. What's holding you back? What part of limited forgiveness is holding you back? Put it down. Put it down and release that hurt to Jesus. And let's be a free people. Let's be a people of peace. Let me pray for us. Jesus, I ask that as you brought names to our, our minds, as you brought uh, feelings of hurt uh, to us, we might even feel our heart racing, we might feel our blood pressure go up, Father, that we would listen to all of those signals and realize there is hurt in us. And we need to release that to you. And so, Father, I pray for those listening to pray with me right now, that in the name of Jesus, we would release that hurt to the God of the universe. And we would let him deal with that pain. And we would say out loud, by the blood of Jesus, I forgive. Right? By the blood of Jesus, I've been forgiven. So I forgive and then fill in the blank. And God, I pray that as they fill in that blank, as we fill in that blank, that we would experience a deep 
residing freedom and peace and that it would change us. In Christ's name I pray, amen.